if last Sunday's sermon was called, You Are What You Eat, this Sunday's sermon is called, You Are What the World Eats. You are what the world eats. We are what the world eats. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood dwell in me and I in them. It is peach and nectarine season. So the word flesh has an especially mouth-watering ring to it these days, doesn't it? I come from a family of nectarine lovers, and in our family, a nectarine is just firm enough and just fleshy enough. Completely unrelated in substance to this word is the COVID-specific phenomenon of starting a new school, beginning a new job, joining a new church, or making new friends over Zoom or email or text, and eventually seeing them for the first time in person, and one of you saying, it is nice to finally meet in the flesh. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood dwell in me and I in them. It is easiest to hear Jesus say this and assume he is referring to the sacramental meal we call Holy Communion or Holy Eucharist. But we don't come to church for easy, obvious interpretations, do we? Read in context, and remember, a text without a context is a pretext for a subtext. Read in context, Jesus is referring to his impending death on the cross. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. When Jesus refers to flesh here, the original word used refers to the stuff of which we are made the stuff of which we are all made. And not just the stuff of which human beings are made, but the stuff of which all things are made. It is the word used at the outset of John's gospel that we hear every Christmas Eve. And the word became flesh and lived among us. If you grew up on the King James Version, and dwelt among us. Throughout John's gospel, it is striking that the emphasis is more on Jesus' fleshliness, the way that his nature is shared not just with human beings, but animals of all kinds and all created things. It's more interesting that he is focused upon as, use, as being fleshly than human. He is referred to more as flesh than as human. Dr. Elizabeth Johnson, when writing about God's covenant with Noah in Genesis, says it succinctly. Quote, God makes an everlasting covenant with every living creature of all kinds of flesh, whether furred, feathered, or finned. I thought that was funny. <laughs> establishing a covenant between me and all flesh that is on the earth, end quote. Furred, feathered, and finned is a helpful shorthand when considering the depth and breadth 
of Jesus' words in John. Those who eat my flesh, the flesh that I share with bears and hermit crabs, pelicans and coral reefs, dwell in me and I in them. Christianity is at its most impoverished when salvation is relegated to somewhere on the spectrum between eternal fire insurance on one hand and a personal relationship with Jesus on the other. Both of those metaphors are just fine. I don't want you to go home and say the priest is bashing people who like to refer to hell and heaven as eternal fire insurance. That's not what I'm saying this morning. They are fine, those metaphors are fine, as long as they are not the only metaphors that we use for salvation. Yes, human beings are cherished by God. That is not debated. But we begin driving without tread when we assume that God's love, affection, and care end with us. God's love begins there. God's love does not end there. When Jesus says that the bread he gives for the life of the world is his flesh, he is saying that there is no suffering of ours with which God is not acquainted, intimately acquainted. That there is not a single glacier that melts without God's knowledge. And even more mysteriously, there isn't a single glacier that melts or forest that burns or coral reef that disintegrates that God does not God's self feel. God suffers not only with human beings, but with creation itself. St. Paul says in Romans 8 that creation groans as it awaits the freedom and liberation of the children of God. When Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood dwell in me and I in them, he is helping each of us imagine a web of interconnectivity that crosses boundaries of species, linguistics, and nationalism. Coursing through our veins and pulsing in our hearts is the rhythm of a God who is inviting us to awaken to the innumerable ways in which we are connected, not only to those we know and love, but to the unseen, the unknown, the unnoticed living beings we have yet to appreciate. And when this becomes our posture, we gradually become more curious and compassionate people. An earthquake in Haiti and destabilization in Afghanistan become occasions for us to listen and inquire from a place of depth, a place that says, their flesh is my flesh and their blood is my blood, and our flesh is God's flesh, and whatever they or I suffer, God suffers too. God suffers too. And this posture of curiosity and compassion will make us once more the body and blood of Christ the world so desperately needs.
Amen.